Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Good morning and welcome in. Miller and Condon on the air with you. AD sitting in with Trent Condon here today. Ken back from vacation on Friday. And as I start the show today, AD, boy, I sound like crap. Ah, you sound good. You sound good, Trent. How you doing, man? A little gravel to the voice today. Yeah, you know, it's a a little, exactly, it it ages you a little bit. (laughs) I feel like I'm 80 right now. Yeah, it gives you a little bit more... uh, Authority in that voice, I like it. That's a good thing. We're, we're well, gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to see if we can keep this thing around for a while. Yeah, yeah, it helps because <laughs> boy, the number of times that I've been told that that voice is just not very good for radio, and maybe this gravel will help out just a little bit. Well, yeah, what do those people know? Yeah, I'm under the weather a little bit, but COVID test came back negative. Good on that front. That's good. Changing weather, allergies got me a little bit, and I was laughing. I heard last week. I think uh, Andy was talking about allergies were kind of hit him a little bit. I said, boy, I've been lucky. They haven't got me this year. Maybe I'm all free and clear. Well, of course, all day Saturday, what do I do? Work in the yard. Mow. Put down a bunch of new mulch. About 40 bags of mulch. That was awesome. <laughs> Moving some stuff around. Got all kinds of flowers. Good to do all that stuff. Yeah. And then a little tickle in the throw Saturday night. And then wake up yesterday. And it's rough. And wake up today. So what do you have to do now? You got to take that COVID test right away. Make yes, sure you you're do. all good there. Yes. Because I don't want to be talking to the microphones and be passing that along here. Right. We'll get the uh, spray out after the show today <laughs> and get everything that. good and go so you're not catching anything. But uh, we're off and running. Luckily for me, well, that means I got a little couch time and watched a lot of, of course, golf yesterday, flipped over some baseball, had a little bit of everything over the weekend. How about you? What was your sports viewing over the weekend? You know, uh, here and there, you're right. I caught some things, uh, caught some of the NBA, some of the PGA yesterday. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like you. We we spent yesterday was our day, kind of out in the yard, mm-hmm. and you know, went to the uh, the nursery and got all the flowers yep. and the tomatoes and all that stuff, and got the kids outside for a few hours. And uh, yeah, so that that was fun. It was um, Saturday was chilly, man. Like yeah. that was like I, I'm not. I complain a lot about the weather. I've, I know I've you noticed. do. I, I've I noticed do. that. Yeah, I do. It's just if it's not perfect, I don't like it. You're a nearly forty year old living in a seventy year old's body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, g- give me seventy degrees uh-huh. and sun. Like yesterday was fine. Yesterday was good. Yesterday was great. Yeah, it could have been a little bit warmer. A little warmer. It could have been a little warmer yesterday, but yesterday was good. Are you also Saturday somebody that's going to complain when it gets warm, too hot? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So there's a window. You I, need to I, move to San Diego. I, I, that's I, what you're saying. Pretty much, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I need to move somewhere where the weather never changes. But um, no, yeah, we we had a really good weekend. It was uh, it was a lot of fun getting outside, and yeah, I, I watched a good portion of. You know, yesterday was one of those where the PGA, where um, you know, you kind of I kept an eye on it. Yep, I wasn't super interested going into the day, mm-hmm. and then kind of as it goes, and you know, you start looking at Twitter, and oh, there's some things happening here. Um, you know, the meltdown, all of that, then it, then it all of a sudden becomes very interesting, right? Yeah, that's exactly where I was, too. It was compelling. Yeah, we had some more stuff we were kind of doing outside and back and forth and take a peek at the phone. Oh, coming up to 18. So I went back inside, watched the 18th hole, watched Pereira dunk it into the water, and then, all right, Tara, I'm going to be here for the next 20 minutes watching <laughs> yeah, the playoff. Exactly. And then, that's just kind of the way it is, and I think you know and I know that's luckily our wives allow us a little bit yes. of that flexibility when yes. When something gets important, something that you think you're going to talk about, you're able to take the time away. But I wasn't locked in like you throughout the whole thing. It just it was a leaderboard that didn't have a whole lot of excitement. Yeah. You know, Will Zell Torres, I know he's a young guy, but just uh, Pereira, 
Yeah, Ever the, heard most, of him? the most interesting thing about Zal Torres is that he kind of looks like the caddy from right. Happy Gilmore. Right. Right. <laughs> Where were you the, on that one, <laughs> dip crap? <laughs> yeah, and as, speaking of that, the uh, the Pereira, I mean, is, is that a caddy thing? Is that, I mean, it, it felt a little tin cuppy. And it, obviously it, it wasn't that bad, but you wonder, somebody at that moment has to say to him, mm-hmm. yo, you have a one-stroke lead in a major on the 18th hole. On the seventy-second hole, just don't screw this up. Yeah, I heard Travis say this morning: hit a seven iron, right. and then hit another one, and then chip up and par, and yep. win the win the damn trophy. Uh, the bogey's all it takes. That's all what you got to do. Doing? And there's so much trouble on that hole. And yeah, we've seen all throughout the week people get in trouble. Bad bounces happen where you hit a good shot, and a bad bounce will put you into the water or put you into uh, the zone that is drop zone. So there, there's just so much trouble there that it's baffling that that's the decision. It's the same shot he hit yesterday. It is. It's a shot that he just didn't execute. I mean, it really, you can see that pressure. Yes. And I think back to John Vandeveld. And the reason that that's such a big memory for me is that was my senior year of high school. And I also worked at the golf course. Oh, and I wow. had morning shift that Sunday. <laughs> so I got in at 6 o'clock and I watched the whole thing unfold. I mean, there were three people that came out to the golf course that day. So I was just locked watching the golf the whole time and watching that meltdown. And I don't think this is going to be remembered in a similar fashion. No. But it's going to be remembered. And, hey, Justin Thomas won a playoff. Oh, yeah, that was a fun playoff against Alatorce. That was a good one. Oh, was that the year the Chilean guy <laughs> dumped it into the water and where a bogey would have won it? So much of it will be determined by what he does from here on right. out, right? This is this is our kind of our first as a as a sports culture, our first intro- introduction to him. And so if this is what his career is and he never really challenges at a major again mm-hmm. or, uh, God forbid, has something like this happen again, uh, this will be. You know, but if he goes on and has a good career and wins a couple, you know, we, we may forget about this. It's such a different thing, though, because it is just that 18th hole. It's not... You know, we. I was thinking, when was the last time we saw somebody do this? I mean, we saw Jordan Spieth really melt down at the Masters yeah. a few years ago. Rory had a on, Masters moment yeah, like that. Yeah, they did. But not on 18, right? right. That was earlier in the course. Mm-hmm. It was on the Sunday, uh, and they, they certainly blew chances to win. But, man, to, to have one hole left. Mm-hmm. And you don't even have to par. Right. You, you bogey that thing, you go home. Or at least you go into the playoff. Yeah. Um, you par, you win. I can't imagine the pressure you're under. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine how that feels. But you're right. You saw it as soon as he swung. I mean, yeah. you could see that swing was wrong. And you just wonder, man, like, did his caddy hand him that club and say, eh? Or, did, you know, I mean, is it all confidence at that point? Is it all, yeah, you got this. Right. We're not going to change anything. This is how we played all week. This is why we got here. I saw him say, you know, hey, I just wanted to make the cut. And so the fact that I was in contention to do anything is, is really cool. Um, but, man... You got four strokes left. Yeah. You can't screw that up. Just knock it up there. Give yourself a chance. And he didn't do it. Led to a great playoff. I love the aggregate. Yeah. I love the three hole. I do too. I, I think that's a, a positive there. You know, some other other golf kind of memories that I have, both uh, Colin Montgomery and Phil Mickelson, I think it was 2006 at the Open, they both had the same kind of situation and they both ended up bogeying and missing, <laughs> double bogeying and missing the playoff because of that. So. These kind of things happen, but I mean that's what sixteen years ago. Yeah, we're going way back for that to happen. Which two thousand six? That doesn't seem. That's not sixteen years ago. Jeez, God, we're getting old. Yes, we are. Well, <laughs> NBA basketball. Know you're a big NBA fan. Are you still alive in the betting contest? I am. Yeah, okay. I, uh, I, I've had a rough go, um, but I've been able to hit en- enough uh, that that I've kept alive. 
yesterday I was down to like I think I had so with Bet Rivers they give us like two they gave us two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. There was a bunch of us. I think now uh, going into yesterday it was just myself, Jared Stansbury, a Cyclone fanatic, and then Ted Flint, Kansas on Twitter. Uh, we're the only three that were left with any money, and Ted's got a, a pretty sizable lead on okay. Jared and I. Jared had started going all in. He was down to like five dollars mm-hmm. and started going all in. Got it up to like twenty twenty five dollars, and then I think he lost it all last night. I put twenty on the Warriors money line yesterday because okay. yeah, I got plus odds on that, which I, I was. I mean, I know I know the series moved to Dallas, mm-hmm. and you've got Luca, and you know anything could happen. But I, I thought, and I, I think this series is over. I think the Mavs probably win Game Four tomorrow night. Uh, but I don't see this going past five. Right. If if it even gets to Game Five, this Warriors team just really feels like. They have refound their swagger. They're they're clicking right now. They've kind of got all the pieces, and uh, and so I felt really confident the Warriors were going to win yesterday last night. Um, they did, and so I put pretty much all my money on the money line for the Warriors. So I'm I'm back in it. Okay, all right. Um, but I have no feel for this other series, and no. so that, that's where I'm losing all my like. It's an every other night thing. I'll bet on the Warriors. I'll win some money, and then I'll lose it all. You know, on, on Saturday night I had the Heat winning, but I had Jimmy Butler. You know, with twenty nine and a half points or something like that, and he he got nowhere close to that. He wasn't the guy who went off, and right. so I, I just have so little fuel for that Eastern Conference series, which it makes it fun to watch. And I think that's the better series, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, but yeah, that that game last night, you hoped the Mavs would win just to make it a series. Right. It really just feels like the and honestly, even in the finals, like I've kind of moved into the fact that. I think the Warriors are going to win this title. This is a coronation party, and we're just waiting for the inevitable. It does feel like that. And it'll be interesting to see how we kind of frame this championship compared to their other ones, Mm -hmm. uh, compared to like this this run they're on, this dynasty, uh, Steph's career, all of this stuff. Um, If they do pull this out, I mean, maybe their most impressive championship, uh, other than that first one? Yeah, I think so, because this is... That first one really kind of came out of nowhere. I mean... They were building. They had a nice run the year before, but you didn't expect it that fast. No. Because there is those building blocks that you go through in the NBA. And to take out LeBron in the finals like they did. um, And and then after that, you have Kevin Durant, and so you kind of chalk all those up as, well, you had two of the three best players on the planet. Of course you're going to win. If they come out of kind of nowhere this year, again, uh, as, what, the seven seed in the West... Something like that. What, the, what? They're the three. They were the three. Oh, they were the three. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, but yeah, but not the favorite. No. Right? Coming into this. And uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'm super impressed by how they're playing right now. Well, and it's so interesting because you see what they're going through right now. And they're marrying the the new guard, the guys that they're bringing in, the Jordan Pools of the world, and whoever else out of that young group is yeah. going to turn into something. And try to merge it together with the old guard. And you see Clay. Clay's not the same guy he once no, was. He's Steph not. isn't the same guy no. he once was. Draymond is not... These guys are not at the peak of their powers, but it doesn't happen very often where you have guys on the backside of those peaks. You bring in the new group, this is going to be your future, and you marry them together. It usually doesn't work. It no. certainly doesn't work like this, where everybody knows their role. Steph was coming off the bench for crying out loud. Yes. I mean, how many stars would do that? It's such a rarity that you'd have a guy that cares about the team that much that would do something like that. For the better than the team. And you see Poole goes off. And then you see Wiggins. And, yeah. And those flashes last night and that dunk. What a dunk. Which was absolutely incredible. Man. And then Colin right away. Oh, offensive Holland. Come on. At least they got it right. That, right. That, that's the only thing that matters there. Yes. But it was just, I, I don't remember many teams that go through this where 
I think of maybe like the Yankees who had the core four. Right. And they were built, of course, Jeter, big part of that, and, and building amongst that core and then bringing other. But that was also bringing veterans. That wasn't building with the future. Now, outside of what, Jabba Chamberlain? There wasn't a whole lot of youth that was coming through there. It was just going out and spending. It, it's such a rarity in sport to see something like this. An organization playing at elite level coupled with, it looks like, sustainability going forward. Yes. We know what happened with the Bulls. It was terrible. Now, the Celtics, after Bird and, and, and McHale and those guys retired, it was a long build to get back up and to get back to that spot. The Lakers have gone through that multiple times. Absolutely. And, and to see Golden State do this, I think, is something, just a very rare thing and enjoyable because they're such an enjoyable team to watch. They are, and, and it's, it's almost like they're likable again because KD isn't there, because yes. they went a couple years without getting to the finals, and all, you know this, this team that, I mean, is a dynasty, has had a, has had a dynasty here, is kind of the, the mammoth in the NBA right now and, and has been, um, and yet they're not hateable. You know, in any other league and really any other team, when you have this kind of success, you pick up a lot of haters. And, and again, I think they did, including myself when Kevin Durant was on that team, they're just, it's hard to hate this team. They're fun to watch. They seem like good dudes. You, you like Steve Kerr. Um, yeah, I like I like Draymond right now more than I ever have because of his podcast and just kind of the way he carries himself. It's mm-hmm. yeah, I've I've come to appreciate him uh, on a different level. He still you know pushes buttons and I, I could see how people wouldn't like him, but I I've enjoyed him. Um, I feel like I should hate the Warriors and I don't, and I'm I'm having a little trouble with that. Just make some money on it, yeah. Then you'll really like him, right? <laughs> exactly. Then you'll really like yes. him. Andrew Dowd sitting in the big chair today for Ken Miller. This is Trent Condon. It's Miller and Condon here on KXNO. Got a busy show today. AD's just going to hang out with me for the first segment here. Busy guest list. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. Looking back at the weekend, got a couple of baseball highlights, including this one. You know I'm a Twins fan. Yes. I think everybody knows that I'm a Twins fan. I support my team, and I hate the White Sox because they're in our division. Yeah, it makes sense. And we got a couple of loudmouths here with Emery and Sean. And I lost a lot of money last year to Sean and yes. our division bets. So <laughs> I'm not a White Sox fan. But last night, not just because they're playing the Yankees, I was a big White Sox fan. Pitched earlier today, closed the game. I think Anderson to right, well hit. Judge going back, looking up. It's gone. Tim Anderson, a three-run shot, his fifth of the year. And the White Sox here in the eighth inning now lead it 5 nothing. Sunday Night Baseball last night on ESPN. So this goes, not because I'm a Tim Anderson fan, because, honestly, it's kind of annoying. As a guy that roots <laughs> yeah, against his team. I would imagine. Yeah, he's, he's just always in the he's middle the of things. He's the guy you love if he's on your team, yes. you hate if he's not, yeah. He mixes it up, he does those kind of he things. Does. But after what we hear happen with loudmouth Josh Donaldson, and speaking of another unlikable character, Josh Donaldson has always been at the top of the list and yes. got to know that firsthand last year with the Twins. He was not a beloved guy in the locker room, and there was a reason that they shipped him off and were willing to pay a little bit of that salary because he's a tough guy to get along with. Yes. Well, now we also find out that he's an a-hole, right? <laughs> Tim Anderson had a quote a couple years back that he is a modern-day Jackie Robinson, not equating what he's going through right, right. now, what Jackie Robinson went through in comparison, just speaking of, the color of their skin, being an African-American in a sport where there's not a whole lot of African-Americans anymore. What's the number now? Down to under 5%, I that's believe? right, yeah. In Major League Baseball. Yep. And that's what he was stating. And for Josh Donaldson, in a game, to call him, what's up, Jackie? 
And to do it in a very flippant manner, come on. Yeah. I, I think that says a lot about certainly the kind of guy that Josh Donaldson is. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you said, it's no it's been no secret. Nobody likes this guy. Like yep. he he is he is not beloved in in his locker rooms. He's not beloved in the league. Um he's a good player, but that that's about it. Um and yeah, you just you don't do that. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. I was so surprised to to see something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's 2022. <laughs> you would think that those kind of exactly. those kind of conversations, even even the way that he did it. I don't think Donaldson either was doing it. It wasn't a racial, racially charged no, comment. No. It was more flipping him crap. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But there's some things you don't flip crap about people. Right. What are you doing? Right. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Or yeah, do it no <laughs> we're right. It's Poor choice of because yeah I, I agree I don't think he was trying to be racist I don't think mm-hmm. it, but but that's going to come into it yes obviously uh, and so it's just it's a bad move and uh, he just seems like a jerk yeah I yeah. had a rough baseball weekend man my yeah my I see Giants the Giants got swept by the Padres what's going on there just kind of fell apart there you know the the Giants they had a nice little run they uh, you know they're they're so up and down right now and it's early in the season. Um, They've dealt with some injuries, some COVID. They had a couple more injuries uh, this weekend. But, you know, you go into that series with the Padres thinking, okay, we can make up some ground here. Because the Padres and Dodgers are both playing really well. And the, mm-hmm. I mean, the Giants are, are playing well. Not great, but okay. Um, you come into the series thinking okay, you can really make some hay here. And then, and then you get swept, and all of a sudden you're looking, you're five games back from the Dodgers. And you got the Mets coming to town this week, and you don't feel great about that all of a sudden. And so, um, you know, it's just going to be one of those seasons, I think, for my Giants, um, where it's it's going to be up and down a little bit. The injuries and, and things like that. COVID has, has run through that locker room, and so that's been an issue. Uh, and then you're in the best division in baseball. Yeah. And that, that just makes things really, really hard. Looking at this lineup, man, how do the Giants do it? Yeah, Skrzemski's turned into a nice player. Jack Peterson's kind of who he is. Yep. Brandon Belt, okay, fine. But look at something. Luis Gonzalez, isn't that dude like 60 years old? Yes. A different Luis Gonzalez, I'm going to guess. Yes, it is. Not the one that I'm thinking about with the diamond (laughs) vaccine. I just look up and down. I know it's done with pitching. I know that's how they're built. But, boy, you look at that team offensively, and you wonder how they compete. And they compete with the Dodgers and won the division last year and the playoff series last year and just how great – this team can go head to head with them, absolutely baffling. It's it's a it's what it is. It's it's a huge credit to that organization and the the front office and the GM and Gabe Kapler and what he's done in his couple of seasons there already. Um, they just they run things the right way. Guys like to play for that organization. They they there's a um, there's some intangible stuff going on there uh, that just seems to work in their favor more often than not. And but again, like. I heard you guys even like two weeks ago. You and Ken were saying, you know, would you bet right now that the Brewers, Mets, and Dodgers are mm-hmm. the? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're leading the divisions yeah. right now. I think this was like early May. Would you just bet that they would that they're, they're just going to carry this? Mm-hmm. And probably so. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals look good. They're they're playing well. Uh, the Padres are a half game back from the Dodgers, but you you don't think they can sustain right. for an entire season? Now we thought that about the Giants last mm-hmm. year, and they did all the they way. Just to kept winning. Wins. What they one hundred seven, one hundred seven, uh, and yeah, won that division on on the last day of the season. Um, but yeah, you, baseball is just it's it's settling in. This is the time of year where you really start to kind of feel okay. These teams are good. These mm-hmm. teams are bad. These teams could contend. Um, and so it, it's a fun time, but yeah, it was a rough weekend for my Giants, that's for sure. Looking at the National League, the Giants hold the final playoff spot. Dodgers, 
Mets, Brewers lead, as you said. You got the Padres, the Cardinals, and the Giants would be the wild card. Are we locked? Do we know the six playoff teams on May 23rd in the National League? Man. You know, I don't I, see the Diamondbacks or Rockies I don't getting either. back into it. I, I don't either. Braves, Phillies, maybe one of those two teams. I guess those. that's, that's probably where, where you look. That's where you would look, yeah, because I don't, I don't think the Cubs, Pirates, or Reds are, are going to be competing. Um, and it feels like the Cardinals are good enough to kind of stay there. If not overtake the or the the Brewers, the Mets are certainly there. Yeah, I would say the Phillies or Braves are the team that you're looking for to knock the Giants out of that position, or mm-hmm. the Padres, sure, I, you know, whichever third place team in the West uh, ultimately. But I think, man, that's that's not a good place for baseball to be. Though. No, no, that it's here over. in in May on May 23rd, you and I can basically say, yeah, this is the National League playoffs. That's a problem. That is. We're a fourth of the way through that the season, is, by the way. That is a problem. We're 40, 41 games in for most of everybody. We're a fourth of the way through, and it feels pretty locked up. Hey, uh, one final thing. Yeah. i, I got to pass this to you. I know you're dabbling into the gambling world more and more. So, a guy by the name of Rufus Peabody. Okay. Sounds like a made-up name, right? It does. He is a professional gambler, but he does a podcast. It's called uh, Bet the Process, I believe it is, with the guy from MIT. Really smart guys, very analytical. They both done work with ESPN, a whole bunch of betting places. So before the PJ started, he puts down five hundred dollars on Mito Pereira at three hundred to one. No way. At circa. Now we always talk before circa golf odds. Certainly, you're going to find the best odds yes. pretty much across the board with them. Three hundred to one. And they allowed him to put down. So would have paid a hundred and fifty thousand dollars on this bet, and then. Whole 72 happens. Can you imagine? Oh. I, I know he's a pro. I know he is a professional gambler and, and these betting syndicates that people like that put together. It's different than you and me. I get that, but still. I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm holding a Max Homa ticket to finish in the top 20, and I'm watching <laughs> on PGA.com. I'm watching his last hole just right. to see if he's going to finish out and finish in the top 20 yeah. for 10 bucks. You're all nervous about that. Yeah. yeah. This guy's got $150,000 on one guy. And you can't hedge out of that at that, that point. That's what I was going to say. Like, there's really no way to hedge, no. right? I mean, in golf, it's so much harder than other sports. You can't just bet the other team. I had the whole thing surrounded well with everything said Justin Thomas. And it was not a very profitable weekend for me. I wonder what Justin Thomas's number was going into yesterday. There was a spot I saw at one point yesterday. When he was seven back. Yes. And that's, I think, the third biggest comeback in, a, in the final 18 in a major in, in history. He was 80-1 to one at one point, the live odds wow. at Bet Rivers. I saw that and somebody put 25 bucks down on it. <laughs> it's just, those moments. Can we get one of them? Just yeah, one. Right. You just want one. Just one. Exactly. I bet, uh, what was it, Friday night? with the No, Saturday night. Yeah, the comeback with the Celtics. I thought I had it on the right side and I already had the heat plus some points and NBA betting and live betting is so much fun to watch. It, it is. It's fun. It, I was just tell, talking to somebody about this because last year in this same Bet Rivers contest that I'm doing right mm-hmm. now, this pro bowler, pro baller contest with Wild Rose Casino up in Jefferson, um, I won or I, I came very close to winning the contest. And the reason was I was able to live bet at halftime all these games. And like the Hawks would be down by like 20 at halftime. Right. And they, you know, Trey Young would come back and, and lead them to a win. And you get them at like plus 18 at halftime. What I realize in these playoffs is when games are blowouts at halftime, they've continued to be blowouts. Right. I've several times placed live bets on teams who are down by 20 at half, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, yeah, plus 17. They're, they're, they'll they'll get they back may lose, it. but they'll lose by 12. Yeah. And then they lose by 40. And it's like, ah, oh, 
That didn't go the way I thought. Yeah, this has been an interesting playoffs as far as that goes. No, it's been good. At least we're not Rufus Peabody. What a name, huh? Jeez. Rufus Peabody. Yeah, I mean... That's got to be a stage name, doesn't it? It has to be a stage name, and other than the dude and his caddy has to be the third most upset person about that right. 18th yeah. hole yesterday. Yes. Those two guys. Because, right? yeah, the, 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 the golfer who lost a major and lost $2 million, the caddy who lost his share of that $2 million, and then Rufus Peabody. Rufus Peabody. What a name. AD, hey, appreciate you. Anytime. Your voice, it's, it's come back. It's getting you, there. It's yeah, getting there. It's warmed up. Getting a little need, momentum. You need got to some warm aspirin. it up a little bit. Yeah. yeah, you sound like yourself. I like it. Getting caffeinated. Got I'm, my diet due. We're ready to go. And I'm we're excited here to listen to the rest of the show. For the next hour, 35 minutes or so. AD, appreciate it. Anytime, buddy. Before we get out of here, and we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk more about the PGA with Matt Rudy, our guy with Golf Digest. It's time for another $1,000 home run. Go to KXNO.com for this nationwide contest and enter the keyword BILLS. BILLS at KXNO.com. Your chance to win $1,000. Talking PGA Championship with Matt Rudy. We also talk Cyclones here later this hour. Nick Gosen's going to stop by. For his Monday hit, Matt Snyder on baseball to kick off Hour 2. Scott Docterman from The Athletic will talk Hawkeyes with him. We'll wrap it all up at the end of the program. I'll hand out my Circus Sports Plays of the Day. All to come here as Miller and Condon rolls through. It's a Monday edition on 106.3 KXNO. Back to Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Trent Condon back with you here. It's a Monday edition, Miller and Condon. Fight through a little bit of a sore throat. We'll be all right, though. We're not taking ditches. We're just talking sports here. But we go to our bullpen and one of our best guys, certainly to talk golf with during the major seasons. He is Matt Rudy with Golf Digest, and he joins us here as a little postmortem on the PGA Championship. Matt, as always, good catching up with you. Thanks for your time. How are you? I'm doing better than Mito Pereira. Oh, boy. That one... It was tough to watch. So let's go through the sequence. And, of course, everybody's talking about 18 and what happened there. We'll get to that in a moment. But how about the lead-up up until 18 and just how he played, the pressure at times? And it felt like he had a response seemingly every time things started to get a little tight. Yeah, I think all of these are lessons in pressurization. I think any player trying to win a major for the first time, it's it's like you're – in a vice and they keep turning the vice and you've got to withstand it all the way through 18 holes. And I honestly, I think we've probably been spoiled over the last few years because of the number of young players that have come out and have been able to conquer that pretty early in their career. But that really is the biggest trick. The trick, the trick is not proving that you can hit the shots. All those players can hit great shots. The brick, the, 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 the trick is to be able to, to do it, uh, under the most pressure when the most people are watching. And, I mean, just the dif- distance in the difference between what, you know, Justin Thomas can do as a player who's won 15 times on the tour and now has two majors and Mito Pereira, who hasn't done it yet. I mean, there's a, di- there's a difference. So uh, we got to see it yesterday. We certainly did. So uh, technically speaking, I mean, what did you see in the swing? What happened there, the conversation that had to happen with the caddy going into that shot what happened on 18 on the tee shot? I think there's, there's, it's, it's, well, I'll say this first. It's, it's tough to, to really blame anybody because you don't know what the conversations are, you know, are going on in the huddle, so to speak. But it does seem like 
the caddy's job at that point is to maybe get in there and slow, slow things down a little bit and say, let's think, let's think about what we're going to do next. Um, and, and Mito even said afterward, he, he kind of, you know, he, he did, it's almost like he didn't know what his body was doing. Uh, he almost blanked out there. It seemed like the, the camera cut away and right away he's already up on the tee and he's already up, you know, making his swing and hitting his shot. And it was a really awkward looking swing with the driver. It looked like he was trying to hit a punch shot, you know, kind of a stinger driver. And again, it's easy to second guess. He, he might have hit that shot a hundred times this week in practice and on the golf course. And it was one he felt like was a go-to shot. But if you've never won a tour event and you've no, never won a major, you don't know how your body's going to respond under those conditions. And this is a player who's shot 61 and 62 in, in uh, Corn Ferry events. He's won a bunch of tournaments. He's played a lot of high-level golf. It's not like he doesn't know how to play. It's just a different animal, and I think he's going to learn from that now for sure. So we get Justin Thomas, as you mentioned, winning his second major, a guy that has been well-known, very talented player. What does this change for him? Getting one, we've seen plenty of guys with one. What does a second championship, a second major do for Justin Thomas? Uh, I think that there's a there's a, a pretty large pantheon of players who've won one. I mean, you've got Todd Hamilton won one British Open, and we're not right. talking about Todd Hamilton anymore. <laughs> I think I think you can separate yourself as a player by you know becoming number one in the world by winning by winning a major by winning multiple majors. And it's that you know the, I think it's the step the steps toward being on the on the small list as opposed to being on the larger list. And I think from the eye test, you know, everybody is considered. Justin Thomas to be one of the best players in the world, certainly for the last few years. And it's because he has all those facets to his game. He's an unbelievable ball striker. He drives the ball great, especially for a guy who's not very big. And his short game touch is, is magical. The, the only barrier for him lately has been his putting has been a struggle. And I think when he puts all those pieces together, he really is fun to watch. And I think he's very popular people like him he's a he's a, a positive guy he's got a great personality and and i think uh, all those things add into this this fun this renaissance that we're in in golf where there's a there's a lot of stories and a lot of players to root for so this isn't the biggest comeback but it's certainly a huge one here for justin thomas it's how's this going to be remembered is it going to be remembered about mito Pereira? is it going to be jt getting his second championship is it going to be tiger withdrawing when we look back at this 5, 10, 20 years down the line, how's the 2020, 20, 2022 excuse me, PGA going to be remembered? I think the good thing is that um, Justin Thomas played the best. He, he didn't play well on Saturday, but he played unbelievably well Thursday and Friday on the wrong end of the weather draw, and he played really well on Sunday to, to really earn the, you know, the Wanamaker trophy. So, so it's not like somebody – handed it to him. He got some help, certainly, from Mito Pereira, but he hit all the shots that you're supposed to hit coming down the stretch. Um, it's just that I think the particular time timing of you know when he was out versus when the other things happened made it less exciting than it might have otherwise been. I, don't, I think we're going to remember the week. It's certainly still triumphant that Tiger was just able to show up and play mm-hmm. and to make the cut. I mean, let's not forget, I mean, Scotty Scheffler missed the cut, the world number one, the guy who just won the Masters. He didn't play on the weekend. And the guy playing on one leg did. So I don't think you can uh, you can take anything away except for 
admiration for what Tiger's been able to do. And it probably wasn't a great scenario when it got so cold and windy. I think the, the, the old guy with the bad leg needs hot weather and flat conditions. And one place I think we're going to see, maybe not hot weather, but flat conditions, St. Andrews might be the flattest place on the planet. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing him at the British Open. Will he, we see him at the U.S. Open before that June 13th through the 19th? Uh, I, honestly, I was surprised that he withdrew. He must really be hurting to withdraw from a tournament because that's not really his M.O. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's the grinder who wants to finish it out. And uh, I, I think it, it doesn't, from what I hear, it, it's not so much that there's structural damage any more than there already was before. It's being able to, to do pain management and, and, and do enough stuff during the week, you know, practicing hitting balls that, that supports what you need to be able to do out on the golf course. And I think the challenge is the changing conditions, you know, changing terrain, going from 90 degrees to 50 degrees. And, and then when you play relatively poorly, the other disadvantage is that it sends you out earlier in the morning. There just isn't as much time in colder weather in the morning to get your body at full operating temperature where it needs to be to play. So I think all those things are, are, are still things that are being tweaked and figured out. And the good news is that there's no shortage of budget or staff for Tiger to be able to figure that out. So I think he's just going to keep tinkering with that to get it better. Brookline will be the site for the U.S. Open. Are they really going to keep it a par 71? Uh, I think the, the, the USGA is more obsessed. Yes. With par yes. than any other organization anywhere. I think everybody else was content with with uh, putting on a good show and rewarding the best players. Whereas the USGA, I think one of their plot lines is what the score was relative to par. So I don't. I don't. You know, we've talked about this a lot on your show. I don't particularly understand that obsession because I don't think anybody is going, well, wow, can you believe you know, so-and-so is the U.S. Open champion? And guess what? It was, you know, it was two under versus six under. Right? You know, <laughs> yeah. The only storylines that you ever hear when you talk about par you know, is when it was such a bloodbath that the winning score like Hale Irwin at Wingsfoot was eight over par. And, and, and I, don't know, I don't know why you would want to make the stadium the story versus the team that won the Super Bowl, which is what they're really trying to do. You know, I really do enjoy the one time a year that we get a very difficult setup, but... There's a difference between difficult setup, seeing guys struggle at the highest level, and making it unfair. Have they got better at least staying away from the unfair part of it? Oh, I think so. I, I, I finished Alan Shipnuck's great Phil Mickelson book. Oh, nice. And there were there there some great anecdotes about Shinnecock where they lost the greens because they didn't anticipate the weather. And I don't know what I would do if I was a tour player and I was watching them water greens to keep them alive for a group two ahead of me and I didn't get the, the green yeah. water for me when I came through. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just makes it, I mean, it's, you know, it's like a putt-putt competition. All of a sudden the rules and the standards, you know, the USGA is such a stickler for that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden you've got different rules and standards for one group versus the next group because they, you know, they didn't prepare correctly. And, and, and I, I just don't understand that piece of it. And to your question, yes, I think it, it's gotten better. There's been some, some better setups, but still, if, if you want my opinion, it's the fourth out of the four majors in terms of measuring who the best players are. Well, good one this weekend. We'll talk about that U.S. Open coming up here in just a few weeks. Matt Rudy from Golf Digest. Appreciate it. Any other nuggets from the Shipnick book? I uh, just got that one in the mail over the weekend. 
Well, I think the big the big nuggets for me. The, the, it was an entertaining read, and everybody should get it. I think the bullet Phil is waiting for is the one that's going to come from Billy Walters' book uh-huh. <laughs> about all this. I think that's going to be a tough one. Oh, it's going to be interesting, no doubt. Hey, Matt Rudy, always appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You bet. See ya. Matt Rudy, find him on Twitter at Rudy Writer is where you can give him a foul. Great golf writer and a great foul as we go through. Two majors down, two more to go. Father's Day weekend, the U.S. Open, and then into July, it will be the Open Championship from St. Andrews. Should be great, great stuff there. We're due for a timeout. We'll come back on the other side. Going to turn our attention back a little more local here. We're going to talk some Cyclones coming up with Nick Oson, 24-7 Sports. That's coming your way next as we roll through. It's a Monday. Miller and Condon, 106.3. Outdoor gear. On KXNO. It's Monday. Recapping the weekend that was in the Cyclones. Now, a little bit different as we get into spring. Of course, uh, plenty going on in the recruiting world as we await decisions and go through a whole lot there. And we got some recruiting news to talk about with our guy on a Monday. He is Nick Oson from CycloneAlert.com. Nick, as always, appreciate your time here on a Monday. How are you? Great, Trent. Great to be, uh, great to be back speaking with you, as always. Oh, I lo- love our conversation- conversations each and every Monday and, and filling in some of the gaps that ha- happened in the weekend that was. Of course, no games going on now. It's uh, it's that lull that is upon us, but there's always news happening, including, uh, see right now at CycloneAlert.com, one of your national writers, Brandon Jenkins, uh, has a breakdown of Omaha Blue talking about his final four, his finalists for his ser- services uh, starting in 2023. Iowa State, Kansas, Oregon. And also the NBA G League. So, take us through a little bit what you've heard here over the last week after Omaha Blue announced that Final Four. Yeah, Brandon did a great job there. Obviously, one of our one of our top national guys. And I would probably say that at this point, you know, I really think Iowa State is in maybe the best spot out of any of the college basketball programs in his top four. You know, they've kind of described the relationship that he's got with the staff. The Cyclones have done a really good, kind of consistent job with him as well. I believe that they've made him the biggest type of priority out of those schools. And he's very high on, you know, the area as well. So at this point, you know, I'm maybe close to putting in a crystal ball. But for the college program, I think the Cyclones probably in the best spot out of those schools right now. One thing that remains, though, Nick, is the possibility, the pull of the NBA G League. He wouldn't be eligible to be in the NBA his first season, but that's something we've seen more and more kids go down that route. Can you tell us a little bit, as they go into that program, the college freshmen that normally would be on a college campus a year out of high school that make that jump to the G League, what that is, how involved it is, and and why more and more kids are deciding to go that route? Yeah, I think it's a really cool opportunity, you know, for people that might want to get kind of that taste of professional-type basketball earlier. You know, it's kind of like that bridging the gap, like you mentioned, between maybe, you know, high school and the pros. I really like it. I think it's a great opportunity. And, you know, for a player like Omaha, he's kind of big enough and has that name where, you know, you might not necessarily need some of the national attention or, or cachet that you'll get at the college level. I think that that's a reason a lot of players will – you know, stick to college. Obviously, there's the tradition, you know, education, social aspect as well. 
But I do believe, you know, while he's considering it, I think that right now the most likely landing spot is Iowa State. And this G League Elite, it'll kind of continue to, to be a great option for these kids. But I still think a lot of the top guys, four-star, five-stars, and, you know, guys that want to make their mark, as you're seeing in this NBA draft process right now, college still going to be the most popular option, at least for the foreseeable future. You ready for eight days from now, June 1st comes and goes, and we can uh, officially get a word on A.J. Green? I am absolutely ready <laughs> for, you know, this kind of saga to be done. Uh, you know, we've spoken on it before. I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, we kind of get some word on A.J. maybe a little bit before that deadline. He's mentioned that he'll take it close to that, and, you know, I'll take it for his word. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little bit before that. And, you know, as I've said on this show, I think Iowa State's in a really good spot there as well, as long as he's playing college basketball. I really do. You uh, were on the Cyclone Tailgate Tour. You made your way up north to Sheffield, getting close to God's country up near my hometown up in North Iowa. But, uh, Nick, tell us a little bit what you were able to find on the tailgate tour. No, you had an opportunity to talk a little bit with Matt Campbell. Yeah, I'm really impressed with the tailgate tour and, you know, kind of everything that they do. This was my first really one-on-one setting that I, I got to have with, you know, Coach Matt Campbell. Really impressed. Uh, you know, he kind of lived up to the billing that a lot of people in the national media have for him. Um, you know, just kind of this sincere focused, really good person. So that was impressive. And, you know, info-wise, I was just really able to kind of gauge how they felt after the spring season. I think that, you know, Campbell and the staff are really high on Deckers and a lot of the young talent. And it's going to be, you know, kind of a point of putting things together and cleaning things up as you get to fall camp. I think that the offensive line is going to be a big part of that. I think there are some areas of the defense where there are some new faces, uh, you know, per se, obviously losing a lot of talent to the NFL and graduation. So I think, like I said, cleaning things up and, you know, kind of knocking out the X's and O's are going to be important for this team to hit on some of the expectations. But I think Deckers was a bright spot. I think some of the young talent like Greg Gaines, who I know we've spoken about on this show, uh, the move for Anthony Johnson in the defensive backfield. I think that overall it was a pretty positive spring, at least, kind of what I could get from Campbell and how the staff feels in a season where expectations may vary compared to the last couple of years, for sure. Yeah, certainly on the national front, you're not going to see the same kind of buzz that you did a year ago, and those are a lot of new faces, obviously, to kind of the national crowd. It does, too, to a different level, but I know they're very confident about what they're building. Another big question that remains out there, of course, is getting off to a good start, and that I know is a rallying cry. We heard that continually going back to last August. We're going to get off to a good start not just in games, but in September in general, and it didn't happen once again. I don't know what you can do to tweak that, though. What, what can you do to make your team play better in September? Yeah, and I think, you know, that's kind of an example of, I would say, mentally and physically having these guys ready to play. It sounds cliche, but, you know, kind of from what I've learned from people that have been here before me and looking back at some of these teams, it's just a lot of things that you can kind of control on your own, whether it's you know, pre-snap penalties, turnovers, late-game miscues, things like that, things that need to be cleaned up and ready because, I mean, from what I've seen, the talent really is there. And, you know, I've gone and written that on my boards and in articles. I expect this this team to win more games than they lose and get to another bowl game at least, um, which, you know, I, I get the sense is kind of the expectation now with Campbell and this staff, which I think is a real positive with Iowa State football. But, 
you're exactly right. That's kind of been a sentiment that's been echoed. And, you know, I think he mentioned something like that. I know we've heard it at some press conferences with spring football. And it's going to be interesting, especially with, I would say, you know, some favorable games early on in the schedule for the team to get off to a, you know, three and two, four and one type start before you kind of get into the trenches of conference play and see what you can do there. Talking Cyclones with Nick Oson, 24-7 Sports, CycloneAlert.com is where you can go for all the great work of Nick and the crew over there. We'll mention the football side and the tailgate tour. Also got to hear from the basketball side and TJ Otzelberger, guy that you know a little bit better as you uh, started the job back here in the new year. But tell us a little bit your conversation with TJ. Yeah, another you know great opportunity that I had to speak with TJ there. They're very high on these transfers that they've you know been able to get, especially defensively. I think that the defense is still going to kind of be the backbone and the identity for the team going into the year. Obviously, you'll see how the rest of the roster really shakes out. But based on how you know the team was successful with that last season and got you know all the way to the Sweet 16 with a lot of the same staff coming back as well, I'm kind of all for it in terms of the ceiling of the team. I think that that's really smart. I think that some of the recent pickups have been huge leadership-wise, experience, and just purely one-on-one defense as well. I think that there are probably seven or eight, you know, plus lockdown defenders on the roster right now. And I think that's something that they've been, you know, purposeful in getting those same types of players that'll fill a role, that'll bring it on the defensive end. And, you know, he's talked about not necessarily having big egos. And I think that when you see the production and kind of the success of year one at the helm with that type of attitude, I think that there's a lot to build off there for Iowa State in year two with this staff. Well, also the question was posed about the offense, and free-flowing offense was talked about. It was a grind last year. There's no doubt about it. That team offensively certainly had some warts, but they were so good on the defensive end. What's TJ said about the offense and getting it, as you said, I think of the question, more free-flowing? Yeah, I think that it's going to be an opportunity where you might not have you know guys that will just strictly be able to get you a bucket late, like you know maybe a Tyrese Hunter or obviously Brockington who was incredible last season but I think that there might be more guys with experience handling the ball being able to facilitate a little bit and of course you know getting some shots late on their own Jeremiah Williams can drive Jaron Holmes can shoot Gabe Kelsher came on late in the season and obviously the roster is not filled yet like I said so you know he said that it is going to be somewhat personnel based but also that free-flowing is going to come from you know multiple guys being able to handle the ball but also turnovers leading into transition offense that's still going to be a major aspect in the offense for this season but again I got the sense that they're pretty excited about who they've been able to get and again similar to football there will be expectations coming off a sweet 16 run I think it'll be at least to get to the NCAA tournament if not to make some noise while there one final cleanup note here and it deals with football couple of new names added to the roster including a guy from Colorado, Dimitri Stanley, name that had been talked about, bandied about for a while, officially now a Cyclone. What can you tell us about him and a, a couple more players that add from the JUCO ranks? Yeah, I really like Stanley. I think he's got you know a pretty high ceiling. He's got good size, a lot of speed that he can bring. Uh, has to you know potentially grow and, and clean up and learn in this offense, which isn't always you know easy when you get to Campbell's offense. But I think that Again, there are going to be some, you know, potential expectations and, and production with him there. 
And I like a lot of the, the Juco additions, you know, especially in the defensive backfield, just really will add some depth and experience when Iowa State has obviously lost some names to the transfer portal this offseason. Good stuff. He's Nick Oson, 24-7 Sports Cyclone Alert. Com. Nick, as always, thanks for your time today. Appreciate you, Trent. Have a great day. See you next week. All right. That sounds great. Nick Oson jump, jumping on and talking Cyclones. Hawkeye fans, we got you covered as well in the second hour. 1130, Scott Dockerman will drop in. But coming up next, we go to baseball. Talked a little baseball at the top with AD. Matt Snyder, our Monday guest during baseball season, will break down the weekend that was in MLB. As we come back, it's Miller and Condon. I'm KXNO.